This is the second part of A Winner in Space. If you would like to listen to the first part of A Winner in Space, it is episode number 185, and I highly recommend that you listen to that before listening to this episode. A Winner in Space, part two. I still hadn't found out the elderly lady's name who I was now in a rocket in space with. It was too late to ask. There is a definite cut-off as to when it's acceptable to say, Sorry, what's your name again? There's a point at when asking someone their name would result in them not wanting to get to know you anyway, especially if you've been through something of significance together such as leaving the earth in a rocket. I'll have to wait until she calls herself by her name. I'm sure there will be a time during our journey when she says something along the lines of Everything's going to be okay, Gloria. Or Get a grip of yourself, Francesca. We had stayed in the same premiere inn last night along with the competition chairman who promptly put his card behind the bar upon arrival. A short-sleeved purple-shirted teenager was surprised by the card's metal and weight. He held it in his palm and lifted it up and down, as if even the corners were heavy. Tapping it on the wooden surface of the bar, he raised his eyebrows at our temporary guardian-type figure. Traces of expense pushed me to think this was a competition created by immensely wealthy but casually clothed people, much like Steve Jobs or Rick Rubin. Logoless, clean, plain t-shirts and comfortable trousers. On the face of it, it looked like a ramshackle space expedition I wouldn't be returning from, but perhaps scientists had been working on this project behind closed doors for decades. It was growing increasingly feasible, the space trip had been planned out with a meticulous eye for detail and I was actually a hugely lucky person to be on the receiving end of this prize. There was something smooth and clean about it that encouraged me to think it involved large amounts of both money and people. It was exactly what they said it was going to be, an all-inclusive trip into space. I had been instructed to pack light as the rocket couldn't take too much extra weight and everything we needed would be on board. I had had visions of a stretched limousine in a rap video but instead of naked flesh, champagne and cigars, it was just me and an old lady I didn't know, floating about in a rocket in spacesuits that were predominantly made from glass. In my travel bag, I had an inflatable pillow and some changes of clothes, but I realised none of my clothes were spacesuits, just cords, a waterproof jacket and some t-shirts. Why had I brought a waterproof into space? You don't need a waterproof anywhere in the universe apart from Earth. That's what they say anyway. The t-shirts were t-shirts with places on them. I had either bought them in the places or been given them by people who had been to the places. A navy blue Cyprus one. It says, Welcome to Cyprus on it. The word welcome is in joined up italics. The two is yellow and small and the Cyprus is in quite large bold letters. The letters that spell out the word Cyprus are by far the biggest on the t-shirt. It was always going to be that way I guess. It's a recurring theme with t-shirts involving countries and cities that the place in which you are buying it from is the most prominent text on the piece of clothing. And rightly so. I wouldn't want to buy a t-shirt with a small name of a country on it. 
If Bucharest is printed in 18-point letters on the front where a football badge would normally sit, I'm going to expect the designers to have really gone to town on the back. Uh, this is a souvenir shop. If I'm buying a t-shirt with the name of a place on it, I want people to be able to know where it's from from at least 20 metres away, please. My Prague drinking division t-shirt was the first thing I packed. Two cloud-top beer glasses either side of the word Prague. When in the souvenir shop, it was a toss-up between Prague drinking division or Prague check me out. I remember that gift shop. It had a polished black and white checkered floor. Heavily air-conditioned with mirrors everywhere you looked. Therefore, with you everywhere you looked. Evenly spaced, heavy-based snow shakers, free from dust and plastic. There was a lot of human effort on display in that shop. They were taking pride in the souvenirs like they wanted people to look at them and buy them. Tiles of t-shirts on walls. There is something very satisfying about picking up the square wrapped in plastic that is a t-shirt. Hey look, it's like a vinyl record, but it's a t-shirt. I can't wait to see what's inside. Well, it will be me that's inside of the t-shirt if I buy it. I know it's unorthodox to pick a holiday destination because of the t-shirt you want to buy from said destination, but there is a glimmer of that in me. Maybe I was overly exposed to the been there, done that, got the t-shirt statement as a child. It was almost my mum's catchphrase. Have you been shopping to Marks and Spencer's, mum? Yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Yeah, the t-shirt that I need for PE, mum, that I told you I needed. Yeah, been there, done that, here's the t-shirt. Thanks, mum. Unfortunately, there is no merchandise in space. I've got a t-shirt with a moon on it, though. Strange that you can buy moon tourist merch on Earth. A bit like buying a New York Yankees cap in London. I guess I wouldn't need a t-shirt to let people know I'd been into space. I would just tell them when I got back. Looking at the Earth through the window, it made me thankful the windows weren't stained glass. There is a reason you don't get stained glass windows in spaceships or aeroplanes. Nothing humans can come up with to put in a stained glass window is as powerful to look at as what is through the window. I am a fan, however, of the sun going to work on stained glass windows, turning the red of a robe on. Seeing the planet Earth from space, it was at an angle I wasn't used to. The big top part of Africa was at the bottom. I guess that can be right too. Who decided which way up the Earth was going to be portrayed? It would make no difference if it was the other way round. People would still be the same on public transport. The vantage point from space has no ground. You can't be upside down in space, can you? The Earth's the wrong way up. No, it's the right way up. No, there is no right way round. Is that right? Surely the blood would rush to your head if you were upside down, but if you're not being pulled about by gravity, maybe the blood doesn't go to your head. When in England, I'm upside down to someone 180 degrees away and sideways to someone who is 90 degrees away. Inside the rocket, there was a large illuminated outline of a stereotypical astronaut fixed to the side of the ship. It looked like it had come from God's Own Junkyard in Walthamstow, a shop specialising in neon signs. One of the few instructions we had been given before takeoff was to not take our spacesuits off until the neon spaceman went out. 
like a seatbelt light above a seat on an aeroplane, but much more hot and expensive. After a thankfully uneventful takeoff in the rocket, the lady had pointed out an out of place wooden cabinet mounted on the side of the ship. The majority of the interior of the rocket was decked out in a high quality white plastic like in Bjork's All Is Full of Love video, but there was this gold handled double doored cabinet that had been fixed to the interior wall next to one of the circular windows. I wonder what's in here, said the lady. Shall I open it? It had dawned on both of us that you have to be quite careful with what you open when you're in a rocket in space. It's not like when you get to an Airbnb in a seaside town and you can rifle through the fridge and the cupboards to see if the people who put it on the internet had also included an assortment of treats in the cupboards. A cereal bar or two. If I owned a cottage that I felt confident enough in to put on Airbnb, I'd be leaving make-their-day materials all over, complete with post-it notes attached. If you want some sweets, these are Maynard's Fizzy Fish. They taste like fruit pastels, but have a real attack-the-mouth ethos to them. Free of charge if you'd like them. Well, shall I open it or not? said the lady. Yeah, go on, may as well, I replied, pulling the doors towards her to reveal the interior. Oh, yes, this'll do us just fine, she said. What's in it? I brought my hands together in front of me as if diving into a swimming pool for the first time, bent my legs at the knees and pushed myself off towards the cabinet. I had only been in the rocket for an hour and a half, but I'd become quite accustomed to the art of swimming through the air. Swimming through the air? Is that flying? It certainly looks that way when some birds do it. Maybe a mix of swimming and flying. I reached my destination of the cabinet to see a game of boggle, a bottle of thick glass bottled brandy and some bottles of competition brandy cola. Have a look at this, she said, passing me the boggle box. It had writing on the side in Biro that looked like it shouldn't be there, like a child had signed it, maybe getting a pen to work by writing their name. It reminded me of a time at one of my old jobs when I was given a pen to try out in my notebook. The person watched me do it. I wrote my name and they said, Aha, yeah, you tried to be so different, don't you, but you're just like everyone else, really, Rob. I took it as a compliment. Well, I tried. I'll take that as a compliment. It's pretty much saying, I'll pretend you just said something nice to me. I opened the boggle box to see the letter-decorated cubes floating inside the plastic dome like something from the crystal maze. Was it a boggle box that inspired the name for the popular television programme Gogglebox? I'd like to think so. I'll pretend it was. Something for us to play sometime, Rob. Oh yeah, definitely. I love Boggle. Ah, look, I said. There's a pen and paper in there. Could you quickly test the pen to see if it works? The elderly lady took the pen and wrote the word, Isabel. Ah, great, it works, I said, not wanting to use her name too soon. I feel the same way when I find out someone's name in normal life. Hiya. My name's Rob, what's your name? I'm Jasmine. Okay, great, nice to meet you. Thinking to myself, right, I'll be saving that name for five minutes time. If I use it now, you'll think I'm being over familiar. I'll save it for just long enough so that you've forgotten you've told me your name and then I'll say your name and you'll think, 
Ah, he's got a good memory. Now knowing the elderly lady's name to be Isabel, I felt instantly more familiar towards her. Easy name to remember. She thinks she's a bell. She thinks she's a bell. Should we have a brandy and coke then? I asked. Oh, that would be lovely, said Isabel. Oh, but hang on. How will we get them to mix? She asked. If we try to pour these, the rocket is going to be decorated with brown shining ribbons and shape-shifting baubles of fizzing liquid. I know, I said. Why don't we empty the cubes from the boggle box grid? Then we can use that and the shaking dome to mix the brandy and coke together. And we'll shake it up like you shake the boggle block, but it'll be brandy and coke. I lifted the transparent lid from the boggle box, releasing the boggle blocks. They hovered quietly buoyant and unknowing of their newfound freedom, slowly allowing space to separate them from each other. Their lack of awareness allowed me to slip the open empty boggle box over their letters. Unfortunately, no fitting words for the occasion were spelt out during their imprisonment. Okay, right, Rob, so you open a bottle of the Coke and put your hand over the top and I'll open the brandy, said Isabel. A minute later, we were both spinning flat palms over tops of bottles with our respective drinks, unable to find the caps. It turns out bottle tops are quite important in space. Okay, Isabel, look, I think we're going to have to let the liquids out and float into them open mouth. I said. If we had access to classical music, it would have started playing, but we didn't, so it was silence and floating, and the opening and closing of mouths and brandy and coke mixing inside us. Isabel seemed to be enjoying the weightlessness, gravity no longer putting her bones under pressure, a magnet taken off her fridge. It was strange to feel drunk in space, but alcohol seems to help me acclimatise to new environments. Isabel, now at the summit of her brandy and coke expedition, looked at me and said, When I consider everything that grows, holds in perfection but a little moment, Sorry, what was that, Isabel? That's from Shakespeare's Sonnet 15, don't you know it? No, I've never heard that one. Okay, well, listen to this, Rob. When I consider everything that grows, holds imperfection but a little moment. You know what he's saying there, Rob? He's saying everything that grows only has a perfection for a limited time, whether it be a person or a frog or a millipede. I can relate to that now I'm older. Well, I think that's it, but there's no rigid meaning. Take from it what you want. That's what it means to me. Art hits people from different angles, doesn't it, Rob? Yeah, I guess it does, yeah. That this huge stage presenteth naught but shows, whereon the stars in secret influence comment. What's that mean, then? I asked. I think it means the world is a huge stage and there's nothing on it but shows. Whether it be a plumber mending a tap or someone looking at their phone or a bomb or a sunflower. Where on the stars in secret influence comment? I'm not sure about that. I like the idea of the stars secretly commenting on us like they are too far away for us to hear them slagging us off. Maybe it's more about the stars secretly controlling the action on Earth, you know, like the sun allows all life to live. When I perceive that men as plants increase, cheered and checked even by the self-same sky, 
What does that mean then? Well, for me, Rob, he's saying, when I see people grow bigger in the same way plants do, whether you're a person or a plant, you still get built up and then screwed over by the same sky. Well, that's true, isn't it? I said. Vaunt in their youthful sap at height decrease, and wear their brave state out of memory. Hmm. What's that mean then, Isabel? Well, I think it's that they're boasting and full of confidence in their youth, and then they hit a peak, and then they get smaller in height. They're trying to be brave and young like they remember. It's something like that anyway, Rob. Then the conceit of this inconstant stay sets you most rich in youth before my sight, where wasteful time debateth with decay to change your day of youth to solid night and all in war with time for love of you as he takes from you a engraft you knew. I looked out of the window to see the planet Earth slightly smaller than before and thought about the amount of words passing from person to person. Isabel, now asleep and floating, she looked like the old lady in the film Titanic but she was now on board the Titanic when it was full of water. I was observing the age of her eyelids, how they had come down over her sides a few times, when somehow... Another pair of eyelids came down over her eyelids, as if to make it darker for her. She shook her head and the second pair went back up into her head. I looked at the bottle of brandy, squeezed my eyes shut and open, and looked at Isabel to see her eyes were now firmly open, looking at me, unblinking, her eyes growing wider and wider, now with her arm fully outstretched and her finger pointing directly at my face. Her mouth began to open until it let out a scream. So quietly, I said, you're right, Isabel. What are you doing? She shut her mouth, shut her eyes and lowered her arm. To be continued.